Welcome back to the Birdie Bug Pod, episode 20. Hello, and we are back for another episode. Um, it's a big, well, we're not doing a special episode, but it is the big 20. We've made it. We've made it to 20. Another 10. That's two lots of 10, isn't it? Yeah, it's not bad. That's pretty good, isn't we it? We have decided not to do it as a special 20 episode, because 10 was a milestone, 50 will be a milestone, and at this point, it's it should... It's a real shame because I can do 20 really difficult questions. <laughs> well, like, how much does a curly <laughs> weigh? Yeah, <laughs> but how much does an ant weigh? Yeah. I don't know. In milligrams. I'm not I'm not even going to assume. Would it be a milligram? Six kilos. Um <laughs> No, I think it would only be four probably. Yeah. So we are just gonna stick to a normal episode. But we are quite happy to, to have made made it to twenty. Yeah, this one we've got to be quite careful with because it it could be a it, we could have made it a mammoth episode and you would have all got really bored and gone off and drunk coffee. We have done I did get carried away with the research. I have got quite a lot of notes. So, so it'll have to be concise. And to the point. Yeah, and not going into too much detail, just sort of highlighting, you know, the uh, the various There's one thing I'm not known are. for, it's being concise. Yeah, that is true. But there we go. We better tell them what we're actually doing, because we haven't yet. No, I mean, it's in the title. We're going to be talking about the reintroduction of species. Uh, and actually wanted to make it a somewhat positive episode and highlight mainly ones that have been successful. Uh, so it's a nice little look at some projects that have done really good work and, and brought species back. Uh, but we've also used it as a bit of an opportunity to talk about sort of the theory behind reintroductions, some of the challenges, uh, some of the organisations as always that are involved in doing UK specific uh, introductions and, and that sort of thing. So we've made a positive episode, but with a little bit of background information as well. Yeah, and when we when we talk about the reintroduction of species, we just purely mean nat- species that were native to the to the UK so yes and again there are all sorts of very cool reintroduction projects happening across the world but uh, as always we've sort of focused a little bit more heavily on well I think almost entirely on on UK projects yeah. just because it's what's obviously on our doorstep yeah but first any catch-up I haven't got a lot of catch-up Probably the most exciting thing that's happened to me this week is I've had tattoo number two. And it is a curlew. And it is a curlew. So, uh, funnily enough, I was having a Zoom call with the curlew action group um, and joked about having a curlew tattoo, if you remember. Yeah. We were talking to Ellen. Quite a while ago now. Quite a while ago. And I joked about having a curlew tattoo. And the two girls that we were having a discussion with both said, oh, that's a great idea. We ought to be doing that. And I'm not sure they took me entirely seriously, but I have now gone through with it. Uh, one of my curlew pictures, and have had a tattoo on my arm, and it's absolutely so beautiful. So he joins the kestrel. Yeah, so that's about the most exciting. The only other thing that I've been doing is getting my head round the Nikon Z9, which is um, it is a big learning curve, but, but it's very phenomenal. <laughs> so it's a nice problem to have. It's a nice it? problem to have, and the camera is absolutely insane. So um, I'm loving every minute of it. I just haven't had an opportunity to get out as much as I want. To be honest, I'd spend every day doing it. To be fair, also, the weather for the last... I mean, we're sat here in a very, very windy shed. Um, the weather hasn't been in the shed, is it? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> anyway, sorry. The weather hasn't been fantastic recently. It has been no. quite wet. So. No, that is true. But maybe maybe a few more photo opportunities soon. Yes, definitely. So that's about all I've got, to be honest. So I don't know about you. I haven't got too much. I did my one-mile swim for the Rivers Trust at Henley last weekend, which I think I did mention on the podcast ages ago. I think ago. you did. Um, it was very good fun. I'm pleased I went into it blissfully ignorant of how far a mile is to swim because it wasn't in a river. It wasn't until yeah. about 15 minutes in that I was like, okay, this is, this is a bit harder than I thought. Did you, was it very different to swimming in a public pool? No, it was quite a still day. Was it? Um, it was very murky. I guess water temperature was a lot colder. It was actually fine because that was, was the other thing that people were concerned about. So I hadn't really done any, I hadn't done any swimming training, but I also hadn't done any cold water yeah. training. But it wasn't cold. It yeah. was I suppose we've had some fine. quite warm weather, haven't we? So. Um, but. But that was good fun. But the highlight, really, the swim was lovely. But I got the best view of red kites that I've ever had in my oh, life. Oh, you got better pictures than I've they actually were ever taken of a red swooping kite. Swooping over me to the point where it almost felt like I could touch them. Uh, and it's the first time I've ever had them in like camera range for for the lens that I have. So that was actually the highlight of the weekend. What a stunning was bird! Seeing red kites quite quite so close. Um, but other than that, 
no, nothing, nothing else particularly exciting. Okay, well, shall we crack on? Because we've got quite a lot to talk about, really. Yeah. So, so did you want to sort of sort of talk about? I know in in our little agenda there, we've got reintroduction. What is it, and why is it important? Do you yeah, want to I've sort got of touch a few on things. That? So, obviously, there, there's a slight difference between reintroducing a species that has gone completely extinct and trying to help a species that is hanging on. Yeah. Um, but both typically involve, well, one certainly does essentially bringing in species or uh, 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 individuals from a population from somewhere else whether it's captivity or somewhere abroad where they still exist and putting them back into a landscape where they have been lost yeah uh, they can obviously we lose species for a variety of reasons it might be persecution which is often the case for sort of larger animals things like um, birds C- of prey and birds of mammals prey and predators, as well yeah. uh, or over exploitation is another one um as well as just the stuff that we talk about every every episode, habitat loss, yeah. changes in land use, yeah. whatever it is that degrades the home uh, can lead to a species being lost uh, either entirely or sometimes they are so rare that we think they're extinct then somebody finds one in, in the corner of a habitat. So the goal of reintroduction is always to restore a species to a part of its natural range from which it's been lost Um and it's, it's known as a type of what's called conservation translocation. Because yeah. you're moving species from one place to another. Uh, the sort of important thing is that it needs to be done in a way that is sustainable. Uh, which I, I think we'll touch on perhaps a little bit more after we've looked at our little um, sort of case studies, I guess. Uh, but if if a species has been lost from an area, there will be a reason behind that. Like I've said, habitat loss, persecution, whatever it might be. So there's not too much point sticking the species back if it's then just going to be lost again. So it often involves much wider conservation work. It is not as simple as bringing the species back. You actually have to make sure the habitat and the ecosystem is healthy and suitable it's actually a really really long-winded and complicated process to 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 actually sanction doing that as well one of apart from the potential i say we'll we'll talk about maybe the barriers to to it after the the case studies but one of the positive things i think uh, and i don't have any data to support this it is just a a theory i guess is that it's often easier to get public support or public interest in bringing an animal back so maybe it's red kites maybe it's beavers something exciting it's quite easy to get people excited by the prospect of the species coming back and if that then goes hand in hand with a whole load of habitat restoration and all sorts of other changes that benefit the whole ecosystem and not just that one species it's quite a nice poster boy or poster project for just habitat and conservation work in general because uh, maybe it's easier to get people excited about beavers than it is about wetland restoration so yeah, i think that i think that is a key to the whole thing of reintroduction is why is it important and it's just what you said there the importance of bringing back native species is an ab- absolutely key part of re-establishing all those ecosystems yeah, and restoring habitats. those ecosystems and whole habitats and that's why it's important and it can be important from a point of that habitats need a certain level of predators um it needs a certain amount of wetlands for various uh species that have been become extinct to thrive and so you know that whole process of restoring those habitats is so important and that's why reintroduction is such a massive thing and yeah. it's a massively important thing. What I thought was quite interesting is I did find uh, an article that said humans have been reintroducing species for food and for pest control for, for thousands of years, yeah. but the practice of reintroducing just for conservation is actually much younger and only really started in the 20th century. Oh, okay. So it was only then that we started to bring things in for the wider conservation yeah. purpose I, and not from a human perspective. I found it really interesting because there is a long list of species that have disappeared that we probably, some people probably didn't even realise that were native species to this country, like wolves and wild boar, um, lynx, of course, and bears. We have bears here as well. Yeah, so, obviously you can um, still see a lot of them in sort of mainland Europe. Yeah, um, and and, but made... there's also lots of species of fauna and flora and marine life, freshwater life that have, that have vanished as well because of those reasons that you 
touched on earlier on. And from... the, the, it's also very important to note there's probably species that we've lost that we maybe haven't either haven't realised or haven't discovered as yeah. well. Whether that's just the UK or just within the world, yeah. as rainforests and all these very ecologically diverse habitats are lost, there will be species that perhaps occupy a very specific niche that we haven't even discovered, yeah. which have been lost, uh, which is always a sad thought to think that we might not even know about what we're losing. Very yes. much the, the yeah. case in marine habitats. Yeah. It's a lot harder to keep an eye on than it is a migrating and it, and, bird. And again, I found some... I mean, there's, there's lots of positives in this, so bear with us, but I found it really sad. I mean, from certainly from my perspective of being an absolute passionate bird conservationist and... Um, and passionate particularly about birds of prey just how persecuted i mean they it says i had a little paragraph here that's saying 19th century shooting records of estates in scotland and england helped to explain why so many species suffered catastrophic declines as soon as they had guns they hunted and shot everything that was deemed to be a threat to their game shooting so and that appears to have been pretty much any mammal, predator, or bird of prey in the same area area as deer, grouse, and pheasant. So this is the reason why red kites became extinct. This is the reason why white-tailed eagles became obviously extinct. Obviously, beavers not for p- protecting game, but obviously beavers went extinct for their pelt, fur, yeah, um, yeah, and lots of other reasons. But it, it's interesting because obviously we we make the um, the point that once we had guns, we we've shot. Yeah. everything i think and i can't remember which book i read it in it might be a brief history of humans something along those lines but the fact that wherever homo sapiens or even and even some of our like earlier um ancestors roamed giant or large megafauna disappeared not long after so even pre-guns i mean for example you've got like the giant sloths of, of america yeah. went extinct from and we think human hunting played a lot uh, played a real role in that and even before we had fire weapons wherever we've crossed into we've eradicated a lot of large megafauna for food or for pelts or for whatever yeah. so it, it is something that must be quite hardwired into us because it's it's a very much a historical behavior sure, yeah, yeah. Um, as, as well as any other competing humanoid yes yeah. is the other the other human or homo genuses were also disappeared we're not actually sure whether that was from like interbreeding and becoming one population or war or out competing but once homo sapiens rolled in the other homo genus very much disappeared so yeah whether it's out competing or war tells quite a big story doesn't it wherever we go we do seem to clear out the landscape yeah Yeah. um but don't quote me on any of that because my human history is pretty pretty poor and of course the other thing is that reintroductions are or can be controversial. Um, you know, there's often opposition to it. I don't know whether you want to touch on no, this I'll touch a bit on that later. afterwards. Yeah. yeah, I've got a little little section on yeah. the the difficulties. Yeah. Before we move into our case studies, I've got two little types of reintroduction. So you've got the I've, I touched on it very briefly earlier the in situ sourcing, which is where you are moving individuals from an existing wild population to a new site where they've been lost. So it's not captive, it's just taking from a different wild population, trying to bring them back. Yeah. And then there's ex situ sourcing, which is obviously the opposite. So for whatever reason, collecting from a wild population is just not feasible. Maybe they're too rare. Maybe they don't survive very well in transportation. Uh, and so this means that you you rear them in captivity before being released. Uh, which is actually much harder. Yeah. Which again, I I can touch on a little bit later. But essentially, species and individuals can adapt to captivity, which makes putting them into the wild maybe they won't survive. They'll find it difficult. There's even been cases which ties into one of my case studies where they get so used to being reared by humans that they've imprinted and actually want essentially looked for a human mate rather than a mate of their own species. Because oh, really? that's obviously what happens with imprinting is they either they view you and it as yeah. the same species, yeah. whether they both think they're a bird or they think you that saw a, a bit person. of that on your work experience at the yeah. uh, bird of prey. Center, yeah, the, didn't the you? young birds definitely imprint they on imprint, whoever yeah. it is that was there when they were born, yeah. uh, which can then make being released into the wild quite mm. difficult. I've got a relatively funny story about it, but that's probably enough pre waffle. Do you want to move into a couple of cool UK reintroduction yeah, stories? I had, I had a 
bit of a problem trying to narrow it down because I could talk about a lot and and most of my knowledge has come via reading a lot by an incredible man called Roy Dennis if you ever get a chance to read his book Restoring the Wild um, by Roy Dennis who has been pretty much all of his life all of his working career has been very instrumental in some amazing reintroductions in the UK red kites being one of them um, red kites were pretty much extinct in the UK in the early 1900s there were still a few in Wales but they were like we touched on earlier on they were persecuted uh, to extinction in the UK um, and it was uh, in 1989 they did a reintroduction program which was set up by the RSPB one of the organizations that very instrumental and seem to be from wherever I've read particularly obviously with the birds um, RSPB are normally pretty involved in all of the reintroductions that I'm going to talk about today um, but they reintroduced red kites into four areas in 1989 which was the Chilterns East Midlands Yorkshire and northeast of England and the first birds were brought in from Spain apparently um, and they did really well in the Chilterns the population grew really quickly um, and it's been a real, it's been a massive I mean, success see, story. Obviously, I mentioned seeing them at Henley, but you see them all over, the, especially down here. Oh, and of course, you see them on the on the motorways. Yeah. And the reason why the often M40. you see them on the motorways is because one of their biggest food sources is carrion. Is is yeah. you know obviously dead stuff that they find. Um, and it's been a massive success story. And again, Roy Dennis was one of the first people uh, working for the RSPB as he was at the time to to do that reintroduction. And it's been a been a fantastic success story but of course a lot of that again certainly with birds of prey because farmers and landowners are always worried about their livestock it's a big re-education uh, project as well because landowners and farmers had to be reassured that um, this reintroduction wouldn't threaten their livestock and, and what have you and actually now now they know that mostly red kites feed on carrion and they feed on small mammals and birds and even invertebrates they're not a threat to livestock and farmers now, which has been really good. If we talk about ecotourism, yeah. a lot of farmers, and you may even have had, if if you've, uh, you know, if you're a bird photographer, you may even have experienced this. There are there are feeding stations for red kites that farmers have set up in little areas of their land, which are just fantastic to see. And they've got hides now, and of course that creates a little revenue stream that's been really important. So um, it it can be really successful with predators like yeah i think red they, kites. they're probably one of the poster boys for reintroductions in the yeah. uk because it has been such a success yeah, it's, um, been, it's been an amazing success story and yeah. i think there are now sort of three or four hundred breeding pairs in the uk the population in wales has um has climbed as well one of the areas where it's not success, so successful is scotland because there is still a lot of persecution of red kites. And also, birds of prey in general, we, yeah. we know that with the hen harriers. There's a harriers. lot of grouse and yeah, shooting Yeah, I mean, hen harriers there. are having a terrible time in Scotland because of uh, because of the shooting and the game industry up in Scotland and, and hen harriers are persecuted uh, almost to extinction in Scotland. I don't think there's many of them left up there now, but, but, but red again, kites... That ties nicely into the point that reintroductions only work if the, whatever caused them to go extinct has been solved yeah. or at least mitigated yeah but they also have to that, that again reading this book by Roy Dennis it, and it's a it's a thick book but and he's got big sections on all of these uh, species that he's been involved in reintroducing the the research on the ecosystem where they're reintroducing it has to be sustainable to bring in a predator you have to make sure that an ecosystem is healthy and can support uh, a system, uh, sorry, a species coming in that will ha obviously and inevitably have some kind of impact on that ecosystem. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously there are times where you reintroduce a predator for that reason, sure. like bringing wolves in to yeah. control deer. Right, deer are a big yeah. problem at the um, moment. So. I think, again, I mustn't be quoted on this, but I'm pretty sure that's what happened in Yellowstone, where the wolves had all been driven to extinction and the deer population became so out of control that and th i think there were other methods that to control the breeding of deer that didn't work um and they reintroduced wolves and now there's a much healthier balance because that is what the ecosystem should have had yes. so there i think obviously i mentioned that the idea of bringing species back for a purpose beyond conservation is actually much older and yeah it's quite a 
a useful tool to, it, it, to fix it, an error that's often been caused by us anyway. Yeah, it is one of the reasons why, because we had links in this country, and particularly in Scotland, and they're, they're, they're extinct, obviously, in this country now. Um, there is a big, big research project being done, again, by the Roy Dennis Wildlife Foundation, looking at the introduction of links in Scotland purely because the roe deer population need uh, needs controlling. Yeah. So um, and it's always a, an important point that an excess of even like a prey animal like deer has an impact on the rest of the ecosystem from their grazing and their behaviours. And so by having too many or an overpopulation of something like deer can then impact flora and yeah. insects and it, all sorts of things. Affecting woodland. Um, yeah, which is why there's a nice predator prey system it's um, getting that balance isn't it yeah, it's the really which, tricky bit it, when we weren't when we didn't have any hand in it the balance was there it's quite difficult to artificially create that balance now that we've already messed things yeah. up because yeah. the natural ecosystem is never going to play out quite as naturally as it would if we weren't also farming the land or building or whatever that, yeah. which then impacts things like the uh territories that's the word yeah. so wolves will obviously have a territory that or, and links that they're particularly protective of and so you might need x number of predator in yeah. to control the deer but there's not enough space to put that number yeah. of predators so it, that's where the balance and that's where the the sort of yeah the, the walking along a bit of a tightrope really comes well and in. also inevitably you'll you have opposition to from from various sections of of industry or or agriculture or and just the uh, public the general public the as well that may be links. absolutely terrified of of coming in you know face to face with a lynx going for a nice albeit, hike up scarfell pike and get attacked by wolves well, except you won't and you <laughs> won't get attacked by a lynx in fact you, even if they reintroduce them you'd be very lucky to see one but that's all a part of that education yeah. as well so um so so yeah the red kites i'm not going to touch too much more on that apart from the fact it's been one of those amazingly successful reintroductions and they've got the balance right and it's lovely to see them and it's stunning to see them. we saw one this morning yeah we did we've just walked a little bit along the river really this morning beautiful. and we've seen one and of course you had that lovely experience at Hen- henley seeing red kites yeah, i think that's probably like 10 of them um, what a beautiful bird and there's no threat to anything as as far as um you know what we've talked about there so right do you want to do one yeah well i thought you would bring birds. I will bring birds, and given, almost exclusively. <laughs> given the name of the podcast, you can bring the bird and I'll bring the bug. Yeah. Although this is, again, using bug in a loose term because it's a butterfly, so it's not actually a bug. But I've brought the checkered skipper butterfly. Right. So the other, there, there were sort of two, and I was, I was tempted to do the large blue butterfly, but I'm pretty sure I touched on that in our positive one of our one of our episodes where we we're doing positive stories, maybe our tenth episode. So I thought I'd bring something a little bit different. So it became extinct in England in 1976, but did still survive in Scotland. And a bit like what we normally chat about, it was lost because of habitat degradation, uh, mainly like changes in woodland management, uh, which saw a bit of a decline in coppicing and management of wide tracts and a, a real increase in conifer plantations, which is not very suitable for. For the checkered skipper. So re-establishment trials took place in about the mid-1990s in Lincolnshire, but it was sadly rather unsuccessful. Uh, the the positive that they took from it is they learned quite a lot about you know why it didn't work and, and whatnot, so it gave them a chance to, to have another go. And so essentially they then tried again in Northamptonshire, uh, the main organisation that was sort of a, a driving force was the Butterfly Conservation Society um, that worked quite collaboratively with a few different organisations as part of, and I'm going to talk about this quite a lot, the Back to the Brink Partnership, right. which is quite a few organisations that are bringing species back from the brink, yeah. um, which was really quite cool. So they released checkered, skippered, checkered skipper butterflies into the Rockingham Forest in 2018, and that then had four years of really careful planning behind it. So I don't, I couldn't find out how quickly the initial that reintroduction that failed, sort of like how much research went into it. But they took four years of sort of planning and habitat management and that make sure everything was in place to support the new population before this release in 2018. Um, there actually had to be 
agreed upon between the UK and Belgium authorities because the individuals were taken from Belgium. Um, What's interesting is they think that one of the reasons why the initial reintroduction failed, apart from maybe not so much habitat uh, sort of checking and, and management, was that they took individuals from Scotland thinking, you know, the UK, Scotland, it's all relatively close, so it should be fine. But actually, the individuals in Belgium are found in a much more similar ecosystem and landscape and habitat to the Rockingham Forest than those in Scotland. So the habitat difference between this forest in in Northamptonshire and Belgium was was a lot closer than those living up in Scotland. So that's where they got the individuals Ah, from, which is quite cool. Also, things like the caterpillars from... um, the population in Belgium shared the same food source. Yeah. And so they were much better adapted to where they were going to be released. Uh, well, the So far, it's actually been quite successful. In spring 2019, they had their first sighting of an English-born checkered skipper. So it's not just sort of the remnants of those that have been reintroduced, but they're actually breeding. And that is the first in over 40 years of a... Of, that must have been really exciting. Yeah. Uh, there were quotes in this article from people as part of the project talk about how exciting it was yeah. to have the first yeah. English-born checkered skipper for, for 40 years. Um, but again, what we've spoken about, where this goes hand-in-hand hand with habitat management, it's fantastic that we've got the checkered skipper back and that the project is working, but it ties in with Forestry England, who have now had to put in a huge amount of work to improve that woodland habitat. They've widened some tracks, they've created more sunny, open habitats, which the butterflies particularly like. And so... Not only has you know, we've got a species back, which is lovely, but it's involved a whole host of other improvements to the, to the habitat. And those wide sunny spaces will benefit all sorts of other insects, which then benefit a load of birds. Well, I think and... that's the beauty of reintroductions is that, again, we talk about that ripple effect and the effect of um, that habitat change, not just for that species, yeah. but how it benefits. Especially when you're introducing something like an insect yeah, that supports absolutely. and pollinates yeah. and everything. So. Over seven kilometres of woodland rides were restored and 23 hectares of vegetation have been managed to create this habitat. And so it's created what has actually become quite a nice network of connected habitats as well, which is another thing we we talk about quite a lot. We've touched on that a lot, haven't Um, we? That that disconnect that's happened. And Um, how much that impacts populations. And the, the idea being that by creating such a large area of connected habitats is that hopefully those checkered skipper populations can expand and grow so they're not then pocketed into the small little area that somebody's made perfect for them but the whole area can now be sort of populated as the as they continue to breed i like that one that's a good one um but just going back to the the, that first england born skipper what it meant was reason why it was so exciting was it meant that the butterfly had actually managed to overwinter and that complete its entire life cycle. So it meant that there must be good habitat and and they must be able to th- thrive. They're not dying over winter or anything like that. So hopefully that population will, will stay healthy and grow. Um, I believe, see, I can't remember how old this article was, but they're, they're talking about releasing more adults from Belgium into the same sites just to give the population just a little bit more of a boost now that it's been successful in the first step um but but yeah there we go the checkered skipper extinct in 1976 back to breeding in rockingham forest uh with with belgium individuals which I is like quite that. cool that's so. a really good one actually yeah. that's a good one but i thought we'd try and balance out the birds with a, with a couple of yeah insects. i'm gonna hit you although with i a... did bring a bird as well yes i know i'm gonna hit you with a one i think maybe lots people sort of know about now because it's it's made you know national press as well and that's the white-tailed eagle Um, you know see we have spoken about you seeing one in arundel i've seen one in arundel obviously we went up to mull to see them and of course they were extinct in this country in the 20th century and um britain's largest bird of prey and um they they had two failed attempts to reintroduce them in i think the first one was 1959 and then again in 1968 and they were taking they were bringing over um, white-tailed eagle chicks from Norway and finally they successfully reintroduced them into Scotland which was the first place that they they managed to do that Um, and they bred in 
think they came into Scotland in 1975 and the first breeding pair was 1983. It took that long. Um, and so they've bred in Scotland for the first time in more than 70 years and then did really well and thrived. And I think there are now, that was my stat here, 152 pairs of white-tailed eagles brilliant. in Scotland, which is incredible. Um, and then in 2019, they got licenses were given for 60 sea eagles, white-tailed eagles, um, to be introduced to the south coast of England over five years, yeah, which will be the first time the white, they're returning 240 years in this country. So they introduced, the first ones were introduced, and in fact I watched a brilliant program a couple of years ago about when how it was done. And again, uh, my man Roy Dennis was instrumental to, to this reintroduction, and I, I read his book, which had a huge... Um, a huge section on how just how much work went into doing this um, because you, you have to get so many licenses you have to get so many permissions you have to work with landowners you have to look at as we've said do all of that research on the sustainability where you do them is it right where do you get them from where you get them from the um, these ones actually them from abroad they took the they took juvenile white-tailed eagles from the population under license um which was issued by the Scottish Natural Heritage from nests in Scotland. But so they, that's also a good sign that the population in Scotland is so healthy yeah, that they can absolutely. afford to, to do that. I mean, in his book, they would take juveniles where they where there's a brood of three. They'll take one from that clutch and they they look after them. The the section there was a whole section on how they actually then bring these juvenile white-tailed eagles and and they they're then held in a quiet location for about four to eight weeks. They're fed mainly with fish um close to the release site um anyway they 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 did the study on isle of wight and the isle of wight is a perfect location in the south coast of uh england to do that and actually was the last known breeding site of white-tailed eagles in southern england was the isle of wight um it's very close to really good foraging areas in the solent because white-tailed eagles primarily eat fish they'll eat carrion they will take lambs occasionally. It's, it's not, not very common. Not very common. They're pretty much exclusively over diet of fish and small mammals again and birds. Um, and it's got lots of potential nesting sites in woods and cliffs and quiet quiet areas for the for the juvenile birds. It's also really well positioned to disperse for the eagles to disperse east and west along the coast. So it was a really good location. Um, so they introduced them uh, into the Isle of Wight. They brought a pair down. I remember seeing the program, actually. They brought this pair of white-tailed eagles, and within a week, the male white-tailed eagle had gone on a, on a, a, a little, trip, a little trip, and he went all the way up the west coast of England, all the way up to Scotland. And over a two-week period, he went all the way up to Scotland, um, almost like a, he got maybe a homing he pop- device. Yeah, maybe he went back to see his mates. And then came all the way down the east coast, um, and back and actually came back to the Isle of Wight, but subsequently that's been so successful they are now seen down in Dorset, uh, in parts of Hampshire. I've obviously seen them over the River Arran. RSPB Pulber Brooks has got a pair there that uh, have been hunting and uh, taking fish out of the uh, out of the wetland areas there, um, and it's been a really successful story and a, and an amazing story actually if you read the read the book on how the whole thing was done so uh, and what an incredible sight this bird is the fourth largest bird of prey in the world a white tail now we don't have to go all the way up to scotland to see them and um and and it's an amazing success story and again it's bringing in it's brought in a significant boost of income to the isle of Wight, where people have been i mean bird watching tours and nature tours i mean look at obviously we went all the way up scotland not just for eagles but that was a a real highlight we wanted to get was to go and see an eagle so well in scotland eagle tourism has it brings in five million pounds a year and yeah uh, nature tours and kayak yeah there's all sorts it's but it's a it's an incredibly well-managed um, project it has to be when you're bringing in a, a predator as and there well. are lots of organizations that get involved there are lots of licenses there are there are lots of permissions and studies and yeah, it's an incredibly complex um 
thing to do and and when it when it is done and it is successful it, it's incredible yeah i think it's, you know? that's another thing to to note is each of these projects often get an org- like one organization would be noted as perhaps a driving force like i mentioned the butterfly conservation society rspp obviously but it's always a quite a big collaborative effort i mentioned forestry england getting involved the checkered skipper had quite a few different uh habitat related conservation yeah. societies it's just butterfly conservation sort of takes the headline but it really is quite a collaborative effort oh it is and when they first brought the uh the first white-tailed eagles over from norway um the 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 meetings and paperwork and con- conversations that took place between scotland rspb norwegian governments norwegian conservation um groups it, it went on it was yeah. it was huge um so it's it it it's a long term thing and it takes a long time to get to get the whole thing in place to be able to do it successfully so and and the work that people put in to do this is extraordinary this, this roy this guy roy dennis the work that he's put in it was just relentless to get these uh, licenses and the permissions and the studies done and the research projects done and it was fantastic absolutely fantastic so white-tailed eagles for me it's an extraordinary sight to see a white-tailed eagle fly over you. Yeah, it I haven't actually... Obviously, I, I live not that far from... Well, very close to the Solent. And a lot of the nature reserves that I like to visit, you can actually see the Isle of Wight from them. So I'm not that far away. Yeah. I haven't seen one yet in England. I've only ever seen them when we ventured it, up It's Scotland. sometimes called the barn door because they're so big. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... How can you miss it? Yeah, they're absolutely extraordinary sight and a fantastic success story because they're now... They're now thriving and it what that also means is that the 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 areas that they've reintroduced them to are sustainable for that kind of size yeah, they, predator yeah they must have which a means they've got a healthy ecosystem to support that alongside all the other um you know the, the the other species that are trying to survive and thrive in those areas as well so when it is a success people think yeah do you know what we got that right yeah and it means that the, it just means and actually they're a really good barometer for a for an ecosystem and how healthy that is because if it is sustainable and it does work that means that that ecosystem is doing okay yeah. you know so it just means that we have to look after it but we have to look after it yeah so yeah white tail leagues i couldn't do this without talking about the white tail yeah. i've read so much about it obviously and, you know beavers are an obvious one we left beavers out because we've spoken about them so many times on the podcast that we, we thought we'd go for something a little bit different yeah what you um, got? so i've got i've got one more full reintroduction and then i've got two sort of like bolstery ones which it's gonna be a long episode so this one isn't it? <laughs> i'll just do this one rapidly and then i'll get back to my bugs because i've also brought a bird um and i've got the great busted yeah, I nearly did the great bustard. Just because it's it's a cool animal. Uh, the it's world's very cool heaviest flying bird. Yeah. Adult males can weigh up to 20 kilos. Not six, so more than six. Yeah. Yeah, and have a brilliant. wingspan of two and a half metres. 20 and, kilos? Apparently. Is that right? And stand one metre tall. Wow. Uh, so they are really quite big birds. Uh, you're making me Google it now because I'm worried that I've got it wrong. Yeah. Um, is, this in the, is this in the realms of my six kilo curlew? 6.8 kilos. Where did I get 20 kilos from? Uh, oh, no, that's the females. Uh, no, yes, RSPB. They can weigh an incredible 20 kilos. Wow, so if I'm wrong, the RSPB are wrong because I'm pulling it straight from their website. That's extraordinary. Um, yeah, the males can, can reach up to 20.9 kilograms. So they're a bit dense then, Yeah, are they? so there we are. <laughs> if you've got a problem with that stat, take it up with the RSPB. That's so, an amazing stat. I like that one. Big bird and somehow still fly. Yeah. In the UK, they became nationally extinct when the last bird was shot in 1832. Yeah. So a long time ago. Yeah. So it's, it's quite an iconic species for Wiltshire, apparently. They're actually on the county's uh, coat of arms. Okay. So it's like a it's the county's official bird and features on their coat of arms. So that is where they decided to reintroduce it, and probably rightly so. And they returned to Wiltshire in 2004 when the Great Bustard Group initiated a 10-year trial reintroduction, which I just think is a fantastic sentence. Yeah. Uh, so they sourced birds rescued from agricultural operations in Russia. 
Um, and I think they they plan to release 20 birds per year. Uh, they This is where the, the slightly funny story came from, where they had a difficulty with raising orphan chicks hatched under incubators because they would become attached to people. Yeah. Apparently, the humans had to wear costumes and take on the role of a great busted parent, <laughs> which I just think is brilliant. It's really yeah. Awful. the The quote was, "They don't make us look like a great busted, but they make you not look quite so human." Essentially, but they had to try and be a great busted parent so that they, they I'd love to see some pictures attached. of that did you find any images no, of I didn't. that there was an article I think from the Telegraph talking about how, when reintroductions like don't work and I think it's because there was a female that wouldn't mate with a bird like they were looking yeah. for, for obviously a member of not their own species yeah. but in general the population has actually been quite successful it's reached about 100 birds and it's now been self-sustaining for about three years uh, with actually a slight increase in the population year on year, which is, again, positive. Uh, the last birds to be imported and released joined the population at the end of 2019, around the summer. So the reintroduction or bringing species or individuals rather over has now stopped because the population is sustaining. But I just think... A, it's brilliant that the world's heaviest flying bird is now back in England. Yeah. And two, the fact that, that people had to try and act like great busted parents to... to so where in, them. in the UK can you see that? Do you say that that's... It's a... in Wiltshire. Right, um, okay. Uh, 20 birds released into the Salisbury Plain. Yeah, so that's down Somerset, Wiltshire. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. So that's okay. very cool. That's very cool. I did, go, I did that one think rapidly. about doing the Great Bustard, actually, because like you say, that is quite an iconic bird. Yeah, it's just the idea of something that large yeah. um, and that heavy. Uh, but again, I think it's another, it's an interesting example where 1832, was a long time ago, yeah. they've been missing from the ecosystem yeah. for a long time. Uh, and then for them to come back, I think is just... Yeah, I mean, there won't have been anybody alive who remembers seeing them. So it's not even like people could look back and say, oh, when I was young, there were checkered skippers everywhere. It's It's been gone for so long yeah. uh, that it's fantastic that they've they've come back. Did you have more case studies? Oh, I've got two I have back got, from the Brink projects. I, I, I have got another one, but it was a bird of prey. I wanted to talk about the osprey, but actually it's a very similar... The osprey is a very similar story to the red kites and the... Um, white-tailed eagles so I've got another one which um, is a bird that I desperately want to see and what got to the sort of battled extinction twice in in its lifetime in the UK um, and that's the bitten and they were they were hunted to almost extinction in the 1870s um, but they reintroduced them back in the 20th century, but then the habitat change, reed beds, wetlands disappearing. And so they their numbers absolutely crashed, and by 1997 they were only 11 pairs left in the country. Which is really sad, because they are magnificent birds. Which are, I mean, they're... A, Again, if you don't know what a bitten is, it's a, part, it's a member of the heron family. Beautiful, very elusive bird. Um, hides amongst the reed beds... Um, which is uh, one of the reasons why they decline so much. And because one of, of those the... bit like the herons that have long necks, but sometimes they don't look like they've got a long yeah. neck, and then they stretch up. And, and it's quite and how an tall extraordinary noise. We call them the booming bittens because, again, they've they've just got a fantastic call that is so recognisable. Um, so yeah, there were only eleven pairs left in the UK in 1997. So. The way that this is a slightly different way, they didn't reintroduce birds. Um, so sometimes they'll do what's called head starting, where they're they're taking um, eggs from you know places and trying to hatch them and yeah. head start. It's normally them. I think we mentioned it in we the did. curly episode where the they find that the population is declining because of young mortality yeah. so it's not that the adults are dying off or yeah. being hunted it's that actually the nests are failing yeah. and so that the chicks need a bit of extra care but a, a huge project was done by the rspb um and and they were trying to get to the bottom of why why they uh, were declining at such a dramatic rate again and of course it came down to the reed beds and wetlands um so they went on a embarked on a huge project to restore 
reed beds, raising water levels, um, excavating and reshaping pools and ditches in the reed beds. And by 2004, uh, bitten numbers had increased at 10 of the 13 project sites. They'd had, they had all these project sites that they, they implemented these changes to the wetland areas and the reed beds. So this key part of getting bitten's back was not reintroducing chicks or anything like that. It was just restoring their habitat. And I think that that gives a sort of another view on, it's not just, you know, Bring dropping in. 25 pairs in and saying, get on with it, just guys. Just making it's the habitat better. Creating a, 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 yeah, the habitat that they thrive in. And, and so that's been carrying on. And now they believe in the UK population by 2016 had recovered to 160 which is a big increase um, which is a huge increase and of course that work now is continuing and and that's a, a success story in a slightly different way yeah but again that restoration of that habitat is is beneficial to so many other yeah. species so we're, we're all waking up and obviously the rspb and organizations it's not a new thing to them on why these birds and these species have declined um but to the general public maybe um that awareness of creating recreating saving restoring creating new habitats um that these species thrive in is such a a massive thing if we're going to save wildlife in this country and that the bitten story for me just emphasizes that how, yeah, how a, easy it is because nature recovers so quickly if you let it we've talked about that lots of times when we've talked about wild ken hill and nepis state and places yeah, like that just, it needs the healthy habitat it really does but if you get that habitat that these species thrive in they'll repopulate it themselves more often than not and the bittern is a is a great a great um example, example of that so i wanted to put that one in uh, and i could have talked about the ospreys that's another fantastic success story they were extinct in by 1840 they've been hunted to extinction uh roy dennis again was instrumental in bringing those into the rutland area in uh in england they spread into wales fantastic success story ecotourism again has thrived um with the Os people watching ospreys fishing in the lakes so yeah, so that's me pretty much done because I've touched on ospreys as well. Okay, well I would I I struggled to pick out which ones I wanted to talk about, but I've got two really quick ones. Um, I mentioned them earlier as part of the uh, checkered skipper, but I found maybe it's like a partnership called Back from the Brink, and not all of them involve an extinct species being reintroduced, but ones that are particularly rare. That, speak, uh, that individuals will be brought in to sort of give the population a boost, but then the emphasis, a bit like what you've just said with the bittern, is really on trying to make sure the habitat yeah. is suitable so that the population can yeah. come back from the brink. So it's, it's very nicely named. And so one is the ladybird spider, right? which if, if you don't know what it looks like, Google it, because they are stunning. They've got bright red abdomens and black spots, and they, they really are a stunning spider. Uh for over 30 sorry for over 70 years the spider was actually thought to be completely extinct in britain uh, but then a few were discovered in one site in dorset in the 1980s so wow. they, they actually realized they were just just hanging on uh, they depend very heavily on sort of lowland uh, sort of heathland habitat and so much of this has been lost because of forestry and farmland and building on it that that's why they've ended up really struggling so it was discovered that they are just hanging on, so conservation work kicked in. And there are now 19 populations and nearly a 1,000 individuals across sort of around the southern Heathland areas, oh, across like Dorset and Devon, um, all because of just a real push on this conservation to look after the Heathland. It does state that those habitats and those individuals are still incredibly vulnerable, and yeah. it is still a vulnerable species, but it shows that that conservation work, yeah, it's brought back from just a, a couple of individuals living in Dorset in one place, That's up incredible. to 19 population, yeah. which is just fantastic. Yeah, that is fantastic. Also nice to see something like a spider getting a little bit of a yeah. little bit of love. Yeah. And again, looking after those heathlands will, will benefit all sorts, including our reptiles and everything like that. But it's good. Yeah, to it's a good thing as well, because obviously we've talked in the past about, you know, people are, are happy to see... You know, ospreys come back and 
and beavers because they're cool and but, cute and cute but spiders aren't so yeah. people probably well, google aren't. ladybird spider because they're stunning yeah. Um, yeah so that that was a cool project yeah the other one i had was the field cricket oh, which okay. again is something people probably don't even know about no it's not fluffy and cuddly is it no but they are <laughs> actually among one of our rarest and most threatened invertebrates within the uk yeah they're only about two centimeters long quite chunky black or brown with striking yellow wing bases uh, they can't fly, but they can walk up to 100 metres a day, which is quite a lot for a little insect. And again, I guess it's habitat change that's the reason for their decline. Yeah, so they live in grassy heathland, yeah. again, uh, particularly in Surrey, Sussex and Hampshire. Um, but again, being heavily depleted by forestry, land use changes, building work, all that sort of stuff. In the 1980s, there was just one group of fewer than 100 individuals left in West Sussex, funnily enough because that's obviously where we are. Yeah. Um, so... And was that the one you were talking about, Pulborough Brooks? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so despite quite successful heathland restoration and a few reintroduction projects, the current six populations, there are only six populations, are quite isolated and, and also quite vulnerable. But... So that's a little bit of a negative. They're still struggling. But as a positive... The population of about 25, they call them singing males, because obviously they, they make the chirps with yeah. their legs, from 1992 has increased to over 250 singing males on six sites. They had a bit of a hit during uh, COVID because yeah. people couldn't go out and survey them properly and actually catch and check, but they literally based it on the number of males that they could hear singing. Uh, but it's yeah, gone up from 25 to 250, which, well, that's a good success which is story a good sign. Well, but it? it was, again, one of those things where people probably wouldn't think that no, an endangered no. vulnerable animal is actually our field cricket yeah uh and yeah west sussex they were just hanging on uh and there's quite a lot of work going on to try and get them back but there were all sorts the narrow-headed ant was oh, one and we talked about pine martins pine as martins well, which is, is another. another success story particularly up in scotland yeah I there's actually quite a few butterfly species yeah. there's a, a calder bee was another one so there, there's all sorts of these species that perhaps people haven't even really yeah. heard of Certainly, something like a field cricket. Um, we probably that, could that have talked help. all day about. Well, I think it's probably worth um, saying that each of these species could have been their own episode. Yes, this absolutely. is quite a quick yeah, yeah, yeah. overlook at just the fact that reintroductions can work. Yeah, and reintroductions often come with a lot more benefits than simply one species coming back, but actually a whole host of conservation work. Well, I'll just read you that sentence. Conservationists have pointed out that the reintroduction of wild species once found in the UK are critical for the improvement and expansion of habitats in this country. Yeah, and I think that really does summarise it. Yeah, it really does. And of course, there's been calls for links, um, and we had links here. And and there's some you know, farmers are obviously concerned about links killing sheep, but conservationists will argue that they don't do that and they're very woodland based and you know it's very highly unlikely it's not to say they won't take the odd one um there was we've talked about the wolves of course is a big one i don't think that's ever going to happen no i can't i can't see it happening i'm not convinced we've got enough wild space no, we may not have them. now uh, i think it would have to come at the end of a huge amount of rewilding. Yeah. But that comes from quite a limited knowledge on the topic. I'm not particularly well versed in the wolf yeah. debate. They have, they've done wild boar in places, haven't they? Because we have wild boar. Have they got wild boar at net? No, they've got, they've got a pig breed that is genetically similar to wild yeah. boar, but not actual Because there was talk boar. about wild boar because they're meant to be very beneficial for the woodland flora and flora and fauna and what have you, aren't they? Because they... They obviously recycle the the woodland floor quite a lot. Um, and so I think there was quite a good argument for wild boar. Yeah, uh, obviously in like the in the New Forest, there's a time when they release pigs, yeah. isn't there? Because they go well, and they eat the acorns, yeah. they? which are um, obviously poisonous to the ponies. Yeah, <laughs> but um, that's, yeah, a, that's so another just, story. I just Googled it very, very quickly on the RSPB. The current UK boar population is derived from captive animals that either escaped or were illegally released. Apparently it's estimated that we've got 2,500 living in several populations, the largest of which is in the Forest of Dean. They're also in the southeast, southwest, southeast Wales and northwest Scotland. So there are some wild boar roaming about in the UK. Right. Oh, OK. I'd love to see them. And there were lots of... Um... There were lots of sort of bitten type uh, species as well when we talked about 
regeneration of habitat to help species but water voles was one actually yes and we did a whole thing on water voles so we won't touch on that now but they are releasing water voles into various places Exmoor is one of the Exmoor yeah. National Park was one place that they're doing huge projects on reintroducing um, water voles yeah, there I th- did, did we do a whole episode on them? we did a whole yeah, episode there on was water the, voles yeah. there was the whole project because they got the name Ratty didn't they from yeah. the char- children's book and, and, the, and it is the fastest declining mammal yeah. in the UK so that was it Yeah. yeah. so if you want to learn more about Waterfalls. Yeah. We had an episode all about them. So yeah, we could very easily talk all day about reintroduction, but I think we just wanted to give you a flavour of success stories, why why it's important, and the and uh, you know some of the species that have been. Yeah, really and it's it's always so. nice. A lot of our research, although we always highlight the positive work being done to help whichever species it is that we're talking about, a lot of the research is into the decline and and some of the less cheery aspects yeah. of what's happening with species in not just the uk but the world and so it's sometimes nice to be able to read oh look field cricket population's gone up by tenfold yeah and, oh red kites are doing brilliantly so it's nice to be able to sit down and research all of these projects that have actually been successful rather than just say our oh, work is ongoing it's nice to be yes like, absolutely look, yeah. look at what has actually happened over the last 40 years we've got the first english checkered skippers so that yeah. good things are yeah. happening which is just a nice thing yeah, to no, read. Yeah, it's, it's a great thing to read. Uh, my section on barriers and considerations, I think we've actually really covered just by talking about it. It's all just things about making sure the habitat's suitable and if they've gone extinct, there'll be a reason. So we need to make sure that those, whether it's persecution or, or land use changes, that those have been mitigated, um, as well as the difficulties of sourcing individuals uh, and rearing them from captive stock. So I actually think we've covered them through the case studies, yeah. which is... Um, and there, are, and there are still barriers and there are still problems with introducing birds of prey into various areas because, you know, I read pretty much every other day in RSPB journals and what have you of um, birds being poisoned or shot, particularly on on um, game estates. I don't want to touch on that too much because that starts to get a little bit controversial. So And this is a positive episode. Yeah, and it's a positive at episode. But what I wanted to highlight was actually reintroducing birds of prey. Big predators can be successful. It doesn't have to cause those issues if it if if it's done correctly and in the right places. And but I mean, um, as we I, I say, we we haven't really spoke about beavers today because they've got a mention in probably more episodes than any other species. Um, they always seem to pop up. It's always the education side because beavers are not a large predator. They don't eat fish. Uh, they are vegetarians. And yet there's a lot of misinformation around beavers that then cause barriers. So yeah. a lot of it is re-education and, and making sure people really understand the ecology of the animal that's coming in uh, and sort of dispelling any myths. But it's not it's not easy because it can be hard no, to No, because some minds. people argue that you know beavers fell trees, they eat riverside crops, they create dams and cut channels that impact farmland and fencing and what have you so there are counter arguments yeah. however they really stand up to the benefits however they the benefits vastly yeah. outweigh and there'll always be some issues there'll always be there'll always be a some cons- problems there's always slight conflicts between yeah. humans and animals just because yeah. it, it, you know there are lots of people people need food and land and homes and in an ideal world, we'd be able to rewild everything, but we can't because people also need to live. So there's always going to be a slight yeah. conflict of interest. It's just making sure that that is as minimal as possible. And with beavers, it's different because they benefit humans in so many ways with flooding and Well, whatnot. certainly that's so, a huge thing, actually, um, particularly for us with our weather conditions at the moment. Yeah, but that's a topic. Perhaps I can't. We haven't actually given them their own episode, so no, we perhaps have, that's we a have topic for another day. Quite a bit. Uh, I mean, you know. Seeing a white-tailed eagle fly over the overhead is an extraordinary sight. Um, it was a, it was one of those moments I talk about all of the time. Moments um, when I'm taking, bird, doing bird photography, and that really was a moment. It was my hands were shaking when it trying to get the picture of this. Yeah, they are beautiful bird. So, so to be able to see that, uh, you know, is really special. Yeah. You know, so uh... and for the very last thing, I was just, we've mentioned a few organisations, and whereas normally we've got a very specific group of organisations that are working on a specific problem, we've covered a lot this time, so it's very wide ranging. Uh, I think it's important to say that normally there's a taxa specific group, butterfly conservation, 
bastard yeah. conservation group. Uh, and then they are supported by all the usual suspects, yeah. the RSPB, Rewilding Britain, the Woodland Trust, yeah. Forestry England, all sorts of other organisations. So I will stick links in the show notes for the ones that we've touched on. And then I'll, like I haven't specifically mentioned Rewilding Britain, but they play a big part. Yes. So I will stick those just as a as a resource because yeah. they've got a lot of great information about reintroductions. We'll, Same also, as, we'll also point you to Roy Dennis yeah. Wildlife Foundation, which has done so much for reintroduction and of species. Things and, like the Woodland Trust, who yeah. again have played a big role in a lot of these, but perhaps weren't the, the poster boy for yeah. the project. So I'll stick links in because they've got fantastic information on, on the work that they do and, and a really good way of just learning yeah. about what's happening uh, in our ecosystems and our habitats. So I'll stick all of the, well, not all of, a good collection of organisations yeah. in, in the show notes if people want to learn more and back to the brink because that's fantastic. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that's that's covered all we yeah, need to cover. Yeah, I think that will, that. hopefully people have enjoyed a nice positive episode of projects that have worked i think that might be our longest episode actually we run over an hour okay well I hope, well we need to cut out a little bit and yeah the homework for this week is go google ladybird spider because they're stunning <laughs> i'm gonna do that <laughs> and go and listen to a bit and booming uh if google can, that one yeah, as well d- absolutely and go and see red kites and ospreys and white-tailed eagles the lot go and see all of it because it's great yeah and so yeah we'll catch you next time yeah Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.